Hi, Colin. Welcome to Divergent Opinions episode something or other. I've totally lost track of episodes. It says 22 in my Google Doc. I, I, feel, like, that's I feel like that's not right. I should check our uh, check the database. The database? I think this is 23. Yeah. 22 is Scopox 3. Hey, Scopox 3 is out. It is. As I guess we talked about it before it came out. So yeah. And now it is out. And, uh, did you buy your copy? Go, did I? Yeah. Yeah, I waited in line. Yeah. I bought a bunch. Good. But then I, I issued chargebacks. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty exciting. It's fun to have it out there. Um, people have been pretty positive on it. Um, it hasn't gone catastrophically wrong. No, it's gone very well. So, um, you can check our last episode if you want details on what's in it. And uh, otherwise, if you want to really dig in deep, I would say come to Las Vegas in a couple weeks and uh, visit booth 14... 1410. 1410. I, I knew it. Uh, South Lower, 1410. Uh, I think... 14,010. 14,010. Yeah. That's 14... 14 yeah, 14,010. Right. Um, I think the confusing thing is that last year we were a couple hundred away from that. We were in the same row, I think. Really? Yeah. I feel like we were further forward. Oh, well. Mm. As long as we're near the apple fritters. Apple fritters? Yeah, don't you remember? No. From the coffee shop on the side? That's what fuels NAB is. Terrible apple apple fritters and terrible coffee and terrible salads, terrible pulled pork. Yeah. The pulled pork wasn't bad. Yeah. This year, this year we are making lunches and we're bringing them in brown paper bags. Yeah. That is my plan. You're saying saying we're going to run a delicatessen instead of a tech booth? No, I just mean for for us. If nothing oh. else happens, I say we I say we serve up cold cuts. We're gonna go to. I bet Las Vegas has a farmers market. Let's go to the farmers market. Oh god! We don't. That's the most terrible idea. Where the hell would the farm stuff be from? <laughs> this was farmed in the basement of the Bellagio. <laughs> yeah, and they have all that like irrigated land on the casinos. They could grow stuff. This is grown on the on the ninth. Hole of the win. Of <laughs> uh, course. So Vegas. All right. Well, talk more about NAB as it gets closer and we get more depressed. But in the meantime, um, iPad 3 came out. Uh, the, the new iPad, sorry. Uh, yes. They named it. They didn't name it. It's just the iPad. It. I got yeah. one. Yeah. How do you like it? I love it. So you, to put this in context, you did not have an iPad. I had yeah. See, I had used to have one one when it first came out, and then I had to give that back when I stopped working with you. Okay. And then I didn't get an iPad two because it was late enough in the cycle that I just figured I'd wait. And now I have a new iPad, and I'm very happy. I I mean, I missed having an iPad just in general, and then the new one is even better than the old one. Yeah, I, so so okay. explain that why because I have one and I I'm not even sure I could tell you where in the house it is well and I think it's in a drawer somewhere I really do think and we've talked about this offline before I think the big distinction is that you can sort of touch every part of your house from where you're sitting right now well or let's let's 
let's go the other way and i can touch my 27 inch cinema display from anywhere in the house right but that yeah and i um being midwestern have like multiple floors and stuff and so um the ipad makes a lot of sense um so for you know every morning for example i get up and i'm down in my dining room having my breakfast and i can use flipboard and and check the news and check twitter and everything and it's very pleasant for that um you know, in much the same way that I like my Kindle because it just does reading, I like my iPad in that because it is unitasking in terms of what you're doing at any given time, I can sort of, especially in the morning, I can start my day out without seeing email and without seeing some of those other distractions. Um, and the same goes in the evening. It's very nice to just sort of sit back and read a magazine or, um, you know, read the web or read RSS or whatever. Um, and then if we're going out, I mean, you know, when I go to like a community meeting or something, um, I just take the iPad. It's great. It's small. The battery lasts forever and it runs Evernote, which is all I need for that kind of thing. Hmm. So, you know, I still take my laptop, obviously, if I'm going to be going out to work, write software. But um, for most other things, I think, you know, I'm already transitioned back to using the iPad as the primary thing I grab if I'm just leaving the house. Huh. Interesting. I guess I'm, I don't know. I, sometimes I wonder if I'm a Luddite, just because I don't, I mean, I use a computer, I have too many of them for sure, but I don't, uh, I don't know, I don't ever want to use one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know, I mean, so, I guess every, I guess, yeah, so it's your Moleskine. Yeah, I mean, to, to a large extent, um, and it's you know, where I'm doing, increasingly doing my reading, especially with the new screen, I still am using, excuse me, I'm still using my Kindle sometimes, but uh, definitely finding that reading on the iPad, the new iPad is much more enjoyable than it was on the old one. Um, The primary reason I get to get back to this point, the primary reason I'm still using my Kindle is that um, it does just do the reading and I'm not tempted to like flip over to Twitter and whatever. So when I'm really trying to wind down in the evening, um, sort of the single focus of the Kindle is nice and that the ink is still pleasant in some environments, but, um, you know, for things like that, or, you know, just reading the economist or the New Yorker, um, or something like that, I'm, you know, the, the new iPad is just as good, if not better than reading the paper magazine, I think. So. And so the, so you think the, the nut that needed to be cracked was the resolution, not the fact that the thing glows at you? There's definitely an element of that, but I do think the resolution makes a big difference. Um, and it's interesting too because when I, you know, since I didn't have a, it is a smoke detector. All right, well, hopefully it won't be too noisy. Um, because I didn't go immediately from a previous iPad, and I hadn't been using one regularly for quite a while. It wasn't that like mind blowing sort of thing. Like when you get an iPhone four, or if you've been using three G and you hold them next to each other, and you say, "Oh my God, how did I even look at this?" Um, I didn't have that experience when I first turned it on. It was like, wow, it looks really good, but I don't really remember what the old one looked like and whatever. But what I found just as I started to use it more and as I started to read it more, it just I could read faster and sort of felt more comfortable reading than even looking at my at my cinema display here. It it's very subtle, but um, especially in apps that are sort of well thought out for that, like the new Instapaper. Um, and like the updated Kindle app, um, it just really is a, a very, very nice screen. Huh. Um, I still haven't seen one. Yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll bring to bring yours to Vegas. Oh yeah, for sure. You'll have to take a look at it. 
you know, it's nice. It's not like, you know, you look at a picture on it and you're not like, wow. It's not like the first time you saw HDTV after coming from like standard def, in my opinion. It's more subtle than that. Um, But you definitely do, I think, start to appreciate it over time. And you certainly, just like with, you know, an iPhone 4, you definitely couldn't go back to the old screen, I don't think. Really? Um, but I'll bring by, my I'll bring my iPad one and we'll compare. Yeah. By the same token, I would say, if you have an iPad two, there's no other reason to upgrade. And I I'm not sure I would upgrade just for the screen if I had an iPad two. Uh, the best thing you can do is just don't spend any time using one. <laughs> I, honestly, like I think that if, yeah. if if you remain ignorant about don't go looking for reasons to get a new one. Yeah. Yeah. You you will be perfectly happy with the iPad too. I I mean the performance <laughs> seems identical to other iPads I've used, and um, you know battery life's great. Um, mm. you know it scalded my flesh and, and all those things but uh, yeah so anyways I'm happy I, you know, again it's nice having it having an iPad again and uh, it's fun to see how the app ecosystem has evolved over the last 18 months or whatever and uh, um, I like having stuff on it Apple so I was thinking about this Apple should release their um, someone, so I was thinking we should get these for the, for NAB, have the little kiosks like they have in the Apple store mm-hmm. at each of our stations, because, you know, there's only four machines and four people staffing the booth. <laughs> right. So if someone ends up, yeah, I don't know, but you can't buy those mounts, can you? Um, not from Apple, but third parties make them. Somebody makes one like that? Oh, yeah. When I was at, uh, maybe it was when I was at Macworld. Last time I was at Macworld or at one of the shows I was at fairly recently, I saw a whole bunch of different people. People make really nice ones um, for digital signage situations and kiosk situations and things yeah, like that. Yeah, I guess that. I remember those. I was with you on that, I think. Yeah. So you can either I just say, didn't you know, care. hide the home button, don't hide the home button, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Huh. So, yeah, we should do that. Yeah, totally. Sounds like a good use of our time. Yeah. And then I'll have four of them to try to sell on Craigslist. I'm sure I could get four of them between now and then, too. Yeah, and um, I'm sure someone would pay you real money. Yeah. Uh, so what else? Uh, H264. Oh, yeah, where it's like a standard now. <laughs> it's funny how this happened. And, and I'll link to an article in the show notes, but this is changing really quickly. Um, about a week ago, maybe there was some chatter out of the Mozilla Foundation of people starting to say, should we rethink H.264 support in Firefox? You know, we're going to need it for mobile. And if we do it on the desktop, we could use the built-in codecs from OSs so we wouldn't need to ship anything. Anyways, it was brought up as a discussion topic. It's come up before as a discussion topic. But it seems like it's moved really quickly into being a thing they're actually going to do. Um, yeah, so let's go back. So yeah, oh, sure. web video... Um, it was a new tag that was added in HTML5, and the idea was we'll just be able to play video in our browsers. And they standardized on a bunch of codecs, H.264 being one of them, um, WebM being another. Well, let me jump in and just clarify that um, W3C didn't actually standardize on any codec. Um, they they are totally codec agnostic, just like they are for the image tag. Um, okay. It's up to the browser vendors who sort of agree to implement JPEG or whatever, just, yeah. Sure. 
And so they um, pretty much everyone supports H.264 except for Mozilla and Opera, but they don't. And Opera, yeah, okay. But um, the idea being that it is not an open standard, and Mozilla is going to stand on principle, and they were going to just support Flash, (laughs) which is somehow a more principled stand, and uh, they got you know they sort of got. They started a rallying cry with Google over WebM because that was going to be an open codec. And Google said, you know, you guys, you know, we're totally behind you. We're going to do the same thing. We're going to drop our existing support for H.264 really soon now. And then and then the two of us will be like best buddies fighting against the giant corporate hegemony. Right, which is but, a- Apple and Microsoft. Right. Well, and MPEG LA. Right. But what happened instead was Google never did it. <laughs> and so Mozilla is just the only browser that right. doesn't support the tag other and, than Alpha. And which... more, more importantly, content producers <clears throat> just by and large did not buy into WebM. And so what happened is they all produced H.264, which they either played with the video tag or by falling back to Flash and using that to play H.264. And so it meant most of the time Firefox is playing Flash video. Which is a less principled stand than WebM. Right. And yeah. even, you know, I, I hear that Google has an in with YouTube, um, and even YouTube only has about half their content available in WebM, and this is 18 months later. Right. Um, and so, you know, it just is pretty clear. And and, and there are just, especially on uh, from the big content producers, there's just no appetite for this market being split among these different codecs, and WebM has not. It distinguished itself in any meaningful way and so um you know it's good i from from my perspective this is a good thing um because we want video on the web to be ubiquitous and we want it to work across all different platforms and all different you know delivery mechanisms and, and we want it to be hardware optimized and we want it to be right. you know like we don't want to burn our battery down just because we're playing you know and fundamentally, the H- people's codec. Right. Fundamentally, H.264 is better math. Like it's a better codec, and we have limited bits, and we like quality. So why would we want anything other than the best codec that you know fits within our power envelope and everything else? Right. So this to me is is a win. I hope Firefox. I hope you know Mozilla Foundation follows through and actually gets this implemented. There's some concern now on how they're actually going to implement it on Windows XP, which does not have a system-wide H.264 decoder. Um, really? Everything else does, but So XP newer doesn't. versions of? Yeah. Newer and older versions do? It's just Well, XP? no, but no, okay. no one uses an older okay. version. I see. But I gather that a big chunk of Firefox's audience is still on XP. That's probably true. Um, and so, yeah, there's a question there, but I imagine they'll sort it out, you know, or they'll, you know. Wait it out. Or they'll have an officially supported third-party sort of wink-wink, nudge-nudge, someone packaged FFmpeg. And... Well, I mean, can't they also just not... I mean, no, people aren't going to stop embedding Flash for the next couple of years, I would think. Right. And so... And they're not going to be... There's no mobile XP platform. Right. So they just hobble along like they have. I mean, anyone using XP is used to hobbling. Right. And so... I don't see why anything like just don't even let them upgrade it. Mozilla, just yeah. strand them where they are. That doesn't sound like open source. Uh, maybe not. 
But that's why they can patch. Yeah. Just get the code. Yeah. Cut and paste in a decoder. You're good to go. So, yeah. So, I mean, I, it sounds like it was largely... I mean, so they caught as much as they didn't, they were doing this because they didn't want to be tied to any um, proprietary standard. It seems like most, a lot of this was forced because they were so tied to Flash as a proprietary player and they're desperate to get into the mobile sphere more and Flash is no longer going to work on mobile. Right, and on mobile, you really need to be using hardware decoders, even more than on desktop, obviously. Uh, right, which Flash was always saying they were going to do. Right. And they did on some, I think. Uh, not sure. In any case, yeah, there are no shipping. As far as I know, none of the hardware decoders are shipping WebM decode support. There are a few in the pipeline, but certainly not in mass use on mobile phones or anything, so... Um, one way or the other they were going to be looking at H.264 as their only video option on mobile yeah so this is good I, you know, I'm really excited to see it and uh, I, again I hope they follow through and then we can move on I mean you know the I don't think we talked about it on the show but there is a spec starting to come together for H.265 mm-hmm. um, and you know we'll start to see where that goes yeah, that sounds like it's a little bit of a ways off. Oh, yeah, for sure. Right now, um, they're just sort of pulling together all the possible new math they might use. Well, and did you see that someone, I don't remember where I saw, but someone's actually implemented a decoder, no. an encoder, based on sort of all of the uh, tech previews. You know, so the idea is, like, everyone who wants to throw patents into the pool just does, and then, you know, later they'll figure it out but so he went through and basically cherry picked the you know a set of those patents to implement and it was it was not very performant let's say (laughs) yeah (laughs) it was a little it was a little bit slower than h264 that is not shocking but was it better (laughs) it used less bits yeah well but i mean i could give you I could give you a video that played at one frame a second that used a lot less bits too. <laughs> well, but I mean, let's look at the reality of the landscape. If if we sort of take as um, found, you know, t- take as our foundation the fact that mobile is increasingly the way people are watching video, um, it seems like we're going to be able to scale performance on the mobile devices a lot faster than the carriers are going to be able to scale the amount of bandwidth they're willing to give us and the amount of well, quota they're willing to give us. The, I yeah, the problem is going to be the power, right? You know, it's easy to scale performance. Um, it's hard to do it without. You know, it seems like Apple's the only company who actually cares about keeping their battery life identical from version to version, right? Which is why they tend to be a lot slower to ship these big changes. Sure. And so, I mean, I don't think there's too much. I mean, you can't. You just can't do eight times as much math with the same number of electrons. I mean, you can, you can, but you might be better off just having a phone that lasts for a week. (laughs) Well, we'll see. I mean, it's, it is interesting though, that we're, you know, I think the iPad, the new iPad is going to, and is already starting to, but is really going to create a discussion of this idea of carrier, carrier quotas, because 
by all accounts, the LTE support on the iPad is pretty killer. Like people are saying, you know, I'm getting way better performance on my LTE equipped iPad than I am on my home cable connection. Right. Up and down. And it's awesome, except I only get two gigabytes a month and I can burn through that in 12 minutes or whatever. Right. Um, but I think that is a huge issue that is probably, you know, push is going to come to shove in the next couple of months as iPad users start finding out just how little two or even five gigs of data is when you're, you know, going to the beach and watching a 1080p movie. <laughs> is this like, is this your dream vacation? I'm not saying I do it, but I bet there are a lot of people watching Netflix at the beach. Nice. Yeah, and that's going to be tough. It's going to be something. I don't know. And I don't I mean I I certainly haven't heard a great explanation of how the carriers justify this with LTE. Like I get it with 3G, like they can say, "Hey, 3G's old tech, we weren't ready or, you know, we weren't planning ahead for the explosion in smartphones or whatever, but LTE is like a new thing that they're building right now." So to say they still have to cap the quotas at what they were using for the old tech seems a little disingenuous. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem like it's gonna, they're gonna have to scale up. I mean, I guess it's just the problem is that people aren't, I don't know, I mean, is it just the the number of packets they get? I mean, <laughs> because I could see where, like, if it, if it really is faster than cable, then you're going to need a lot bigger back, you know, backbone to the internet sure but they're building all these sites brand new like that's my point is they're going out and like you know but they're they're not built i mean they're not building new towers but, they're just but sticking I, I new things on the towers when they, when they switch out the you know um base station they're running new backhauls to them you think so well i mean the types of bandwidth that individual ipad users are seeing is more than what i think the backhaul was on an entire 3g cell site in most cases i mean people are seeing between what 22 and 50 megabits a second really i think most most of those backhauls were like 10 megabit if that a lot of them are just fed by t1 lines at 1.5 megabits a second right so then where do they so now that's a big backhaul what are they even running for that gigabit ethernet that's enough for it can run a How fair many number. simultaneous connections? That's not a lot of them. Well, that's what? A hundred connections? Um, Realistically? Say like 500 at 20 megabits a second. Yeah. Right? That's in. That's like perfect well, utilization. In any case, you know, I don't know how many people you have on an average cell site doing data simultaneously and whatever, but... I don't know. I would assume you have, I mean, what I'm guessing is you have far fewer now than you will in six months. Right. You know, so the people who are seeing, I mean, I'm guessing you're not going to see 50 megabit for long. Well, that's what was interesting. It's like when you're the very first person who got, you know, cable in your subdivision. Well, but it was interesting to me. Oh my God, I got 10 meg. What? It was interesting to me that, um, you know, because reviewers were posting those numbers before the iPad officially came out, but even after the iPad launched, and we now know they sold in excess of 3 million in the first couple of days, I haven't seen any reports of like, oh my God, LTE is, you know, slowing down or it's not working or whatever. Like even end users getting the devices have been really thrilled. And obviously that's 3 million spread out across the country, but 
you can bet that a lot of that three million is in San Francisco and New York and Austin and some of these other places, and you just haven't, you know, even when the iPhone three G first came out, you heard a lot more buzz of like AT and T's network falling over. Yeah, how many people do you think actually buy the LTE though? I don't think. I mean, I've never. I've heard a mix of things ranging from um, anywhere from like half to ten percent. So I really don't know what's accurate. Yeah, I would. I would believe the lower end of that. It just. I mean. If for no other reason than because you're not locked into a contract, I think most people probably buy it like when they're on vacation. Right. And not their, you know, I'm guessing the high watermark might be 50%. Yeah. Like of all users ever turning it on. But I mean, because they sell drastically more of the non Wi Fi ones, don't they? Or the non radio ones? That's the number I meant, is that I've heard anywhere between 10 and 50% sold. I don't know about activation. Okay. Yeah. I bought the normal Wi-Fi because I sort of feel like in the rare situation in which there is not Wi-Fi, one, I probably don't desperately need to access the internet. And if I do, I've got an iPhone in my pocket. And if I really desperately needed internet on my iPhone or on my iPad, I could turn on hotspot capability on my iPhone. So, Yeah. I don't know. So Photoshop 6. Yeah. Have you looked at this at all? I've looked at it a little bit. Um, I saw a demo of Premiere Six the other night. Oh yeah, I guess I've heard. I saw. I saw Conan's thing. I guess. Yeah. No, I was at uh, SF Cutters, and they, which is, it, they do that in the Adobe oh. building. <laughs> okay. And they uh, they had somebody show it off a little bit, and it was. Uh, they say good things. <laughs> yeah, surprisingly. Whatever. I you know Adobe's. I got no problems with them. No, me neither. Especially, I mean, you know, so they host these things and, you know, they host that one, you know, it's great that they actually have an active role in the user groups, unlike what Apple did with all the Final Cut groups. I mean, this is the fine, this used to be called the Final Cut user group and it's being, you know, hosted in the Apple or in the Adobe home offices because Apple's never provided space for any of this. I mean, sometimes an Apple store, but that's it. Right. But, you know, like, they don't have any problem with us coming and demoing Scopebox in their cafeteria. <laughs> so, you know, they, I, I'm happy with them. But anyways, so we saw Premiere, and it's, um, it's, it's cleaner. Ding. Um, I definitely, you know, it's, it's a move in the right direction. It seems to be a lot of Chrome changes. Yeah. You know, a lot of what you're seeing in Navid and stuff, like people making interfaces darker and realizing that most professional editors don't need that, you know, 60 pixel high chunk of deck control stuff at the bottom of all of their video windows. Right. So that was, you know, that was really nice. They have a way to turn that off completely now. Nice. So you just get the video and then you use JKO to move around, which I thought was, you know, really nice. Um, and yeah, it, it looked nice, looked cleaner. And people are, you know, seemingly very positive about Photoshop 6, um, which similarly has a... Well, they're calling it an all-new interface. I think that's a little disingenuous because, it's, at least in the case of Photoshop, it looks like they just sort of they burned the interface and then moved some things around, but the actual 
artwork and buttons and everything are pretty much the same in Photoshop. But yeah, is it possible they redid it all though, and it's not in Flash anymore? Maybe I haven't downloaded because that beta. would be I probably, nice. I probably should because um, they do have a public beta available. Because um, they had a very bad. It had, it had gotten pretty ridiculous. Yeah. So maybe they cleaned it up. That'd be nice. Yeah. I mean, because the thing is, everything that you saw on screen in a screenshot was perfectly rational. It was just when you started digging into a feature that things went, like, wanky. Right. One so of the, if they fixed all that. I'm one of the big be. things they did in Photoshop, which I think is interesting for Adobe, is that they're using... Um, well, they're using the technology that they call the Mercury Graphics Engine, which uh, we've previously seen in Premiere, which, in my understanding, is mostly their CUDA acceleration. Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, so it's a redesign that I think probably just is generally higher performance, but, to you know, the big thing is that it's CUDA-backed. Yeah, and so they've moved that into Photoshop now to accelerate some um, filters and live previews and things which is um, a new thing for them. They'd previously moved to OpenGL for some stuff in Photoshop, but this is another step forward in terms of really upping the performance. I, you know, I think performance in Photoshop is one of those things that if you're not a full-time designer doing you know, posters and things, you've probably sort of been happy enough with Photoshop performance since 3.0. At least I have. I've, yeah. You know, it's like I apply a Gaussian blur and it takes two seconds instead of half a second or whatever. It's not like, right. you know, rendering video. But if, again, you know, Photoshop is one of those apps that the people who actually buy it are the people who are using it all day, every day on massive yeah. files. And so performance matters. Yeah, no, like when we do our web graphics, it's fine. It, you know, the only time I curse Photoshop performance now is like when we did the when we do the backdrop for a booth. Exactly, yeah. Because... <laughs> 10 by 20 foot at 300 dpi is a that's a that's a crappy gradient yeah um but it's you know it's it's always interesting to see how they um feature bump photoshop because it is such a you know what i mean when did photoshop first come out it's been around for a while 86 it's pretty old yeah um, and so it's always interesting to see how they find ways to add new features and to you know, sort of pack in more functionality into the UI. Um, okay, so can we talk about the video editor? Yeah. This I do not understand. So a lot of the things they've added look really nice. But what one of the things they've added is you can now edit video inside Photoshop. Right. Okay, now... From my understanding, you have to work pretty damn hard to not get a free copy of Premiere when you buy Photoshop. Right. And then add to that, like, like, it seems to me the thing that Adobe, you know, they get a lot of crap from people for their UI and for their sort of crazy, you know, bundling and their you know licensing schemes and all this stuff but the one thing that everyone kind of agrees on is Photoshop or like the CS suite is great for interoperability yeah like you buy it if you're an editor who spends more than 20% of your time in After Effects or Photoshop like that's where you really start getting the benefits because you can just you know 
move seamlessly between the apps and things go around. And anyone who's tried to like round trip stuff through Apple Suite or try to get Photoshop in and out of Final Cut, like there's always these weird sniggly bits to doing that. Yeah. So I don't understand why they don't like that couldn't have been an easy thing to do. Why didn't they focus on making their integration even more seamless? Well, I think some of it's in just the mentality of how you use the different apps that like, like some of it is just stupid, definitely, because if, you know, like, especially in their marketing material, they say, like, if you want to make your video black and white, just make a black and white adjustment layer. And, you know, well, okay, why wouldn't I apply a black and white filter? And But there are other things that I think the tool set and just the mentality of how you use the tool makes more sense in Photoshop, like Roto, um, like you know, some other types of sort of more um, compositing oriented things and design oriented things. I think, you know, if you're experimenting with different types of layer animation and things like that, it might make more sense to work directly in Photoshop. Um, Yeah, but it's not, I mean, from what I've seen, it's like cuts, it's primarily like you can't, you're not doing After Effects in Photoshop, correct? Right, but you are able to sort of add you know, you're able to do time-based changes to the video, I think. You can do keyframe animation and stuff? I don't know. Uh, I thought so, yeah. Oh. It looks like it. I'm looking at a screenshot now. Like, why don't they just get rid of all the apps, man? Yeah, I mean, I think... I see this as a way to bring After Effects func- some After Effects functionality to an audience that would otherwise be intimidated by After Effects. I don't see it as a competitor to Premiere, necessarily. Because no. I think Premiere is much more. I don't see it as competitor After Effects either. It's well, not a competitor, but there are people who have ideas for things they want to do in the compositing roto space that would be totally overwhelmed by After Effects. I mean, I'm overwhelmed by After Effects. I find it a, a not an easy program to use when I have to use it. Right. I think it's a. To me, it seems like trying to drive. It seems like they're trying to do the strange thing where they're driving the main focus of another app down market into a tertiary focus of another app which is up market yeah so like they want to try to be able to they want to have a path for people who are very good at photoshop who are now being asked to make web videos you know like you've done all this retouching on our wedding videos can you just make them into a slideshow so we can put it up on youtube right which is fine, except it starts to, I think if when you do that, you're working across goals. Because, I mean, when you have someone who's a, a pro in one area and an amateur in another, I don't know, it just seems like they're going to end up with one good photo editor and three bad video editors. Yeah. And one good video editor and three bad photo editors. Yeah, it's interesting. I I wish I could ascribe more planning to the things Adobe does, but I have trouble doing that. I have trouble thinking that like this is all part of a multi-year plan for where they they want the products to end up. Because you could make a case that, you know, After Effects is certainly over the last 10 years pushed up market. Uh, in terms yes. of who, who's using it and what sort of production is being used in. 
Um, yeah, and obviously definitely. Premiere is making some of that shift as well with the sort of gap left by Final Cut. But, you know, again, if you could ascribe planning to Adobe and say they're trying to sort of, they want to be comfortable opening up a gap in terms of where After Effects is and still serve low-end users with a tool uh, and make Photoshop sort of a universal tool. But The problem is Photoshop's an intimidating app for non-Photoshop users. Yeah, that's true. I mean, what they should do is they have Photoshop LE, they should have After Effects LE and Premiere LE and be done with it. Yeah. And then if you're Photoshop Pro, you buy Photoshop Pro and it comes with LE of all the other crap. And if you're an After Effects person, you buy After Effects and you get an LE version of all the other crap. I mean, that would solve, it seems like that would satisfy everyone's needs. And all they need to do is make six new apps. Come on, get on this, Adobe. Yeah. They, they have a nice office. I bet they do. It they runs don't... on like fuel cells and hope. Oh, do they have bloom boxes? I don't know. I just know they have fuel cells and like they have a thing in their they've got this weird like flash animation system in their lobby which shows how much power they're generating and how much they're using and it graphs it over the course of the day and Does it show how much is being used by the flash animation system? <laughs> <Zing>! <laughs> I'm not sure it's actually flash. I bet it is. Um, yeah, they have nice offices here too, I hear. I've never been there though. I think the Photoshop team's here. Really? Someone, one of the teams is here. Yeah, I remember hearing that. Yeah. So what else is new in the world of high tech? Mm-hmm. I think that's everything, right? That was it, okay. Yeah, it's been, I mean, you know, we're in the ramp up to NAB time. I would expect that maybe, actually, Jesus Christ, next week's the last week in March. Yeah, we're going to start getting, like, press releases about what's coming in NAB pretty soon and start to see. We already know that Canon's got a big event planned. Um, Mm -hmm. We'll start to hear more about other big announcements coming. Yeah. So what do you think? Put, Put your money down. Let's bet. What, 4K DSLR? No, what's the what's gonna be the what's the word to describe this year's gonna be? Um, I think it's gonna be a great show. Um, no, come on, what's I'm working. Buzzword? I'm working on it. The buzzword okay. is um, uh, and not the buzzword that they're gonna everyone's gonna say because that's you know that's gonna be like content collaboration or something. No, 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 no. Imagineering. Um. Everyone's going to walk away saying this was the year of 4K. I I get, I mean, for, you know, because of the Canon announcement and maybe, you know, some Dark Horse things, that is kind of what you have to say, but I don't know. Um, I'm going to go with either this is the year of 4K or for the higher, for the more technical people who are reading beyond the press releases, this is the year of H.264. I would say this is the year of software scopes. Mm, that too. Um, I would say what one of the things that we'll be saying is this is the year that 3D died. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Uh, I like that. We definitely are not going to be talking about 3D. <sighs> they, they have a 3D pavilion still. I know, but... They don't have a 4K pavilion. I would bet that none of the, people, none of the big vendors are going to be pushing 3D. No, I agree with that. 
Well, we'll see y'all in Vegas in a couple a couple weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> SL fourteen zero one zero. Stop by. Yeah, mention the podcast and we'll um, give you whatever we have under the tables. <laughs> Bottle of water. I don't know. Yeah. We'll come up with some beef. Did you know we're not allowed to give out bottled water? Really? Because it's not Aramark water. Uh, It's part of our contractual. I mean, we'll still give you water, but. How about like candy in a bowl? Can we do that? That has to be Aramark candy too. Let's get those little chalky mints. I love those things. Those are not good. Those are the best. We'll Uh, find something. We're yeah. gonna give we'll give out I'll give you a We'll happily scan your badge. Mention the podcast and we, we will scan your badge twice. <laughs> That'll be fun for them. Yeah. Or Luckily we never contact people on our list, so well, we would if we could. We'll keep you quietly. Mm-hmm. Grumble grumble. What's your chatter? Ah, so I have two this week. Um the first one is a series that went up on Tool Farm, which uh, is using a connect to, it's like basically one of these duct tape projects where you patch together a bunch of third-party apps, and they end up with, so the idea is... Does this build a, Python? I'm sure it does. So you build a 2D puppet in After Effects, and you rig it up, digital puppet and then you use a bunch uh, an entire stack of these uh, open source um, tools for the Xbox Connect to do um, skeleton tracking and you can stand in front of your Connect and capture skeletal data for like a full human body and then rig that to your puppet so it's a four-part series it talks about like the software stack and making the puppet and setting everything up and then you know doing sort of procedural rigging so that stuff that the puppet can't get from the connect sort of is auto generated by you know so that the hands move in the right direction and stuff like that sure um it was fun I, i think I think that's going to become so you know there's a lot of artistry involved in animation and I think we're going to see a lot more animation come in in the future that's more one day project sort of things yeah for sure you know I think we're I think we're getting close to a world where you know someone you know in the same way that there are companies that just um you know, have rooms full of people who are just recording books into podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- would not be surprised if we're in a couple years from now, we have companies that are just turning children's books into animated iPad app uh, for sure. things, you know, then this would be a great way to do that. You know, you have an artist draw, put, build a bunch of puppets and illustrator, and then you have, you know, your mocap dudes on the stage just dancing around dancing puppies and you know a month later you come out with an ipad app that you can sell the kids for 10 bucks yeah yeah this is cool and, and you know one more example of the ways people are using connects um and it continues to grow into a tool that just is sort of something on the shelf for people who want to accomplish something like this it's not even a sort of 
you, you look at this because of the end product of a really cool way to do mocap puppetry, not as a, oh my God, look at what they did with a Kinect. Yeah. And I wonder if we're ever going to see a, you know, like it seems to me that there are lots of people who would love to be, I mean, I'm starting to see lots of products that are kind of integrating, you know, that are like in the R&D stages where they're integrating connects for all this 3D stuff. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't seem like it works. It doesn't scale right. You know, like, so So you're making a thing for Neiman Marcus that makes women's jeans fit by scanning them in a booth. Right. Like, you're really going to buy connects and install them in this thing and use this open source? Like, why is no one... I mean, I realize there's a fair amount of tech in this thing and probably a fair amount of patents, but... Why is no one making an OEMable version of this? Well, I think Microsoft's doing the right thing in that they've got a, an official SDK now. Um, True. And that they actually sell, I think they actually sell like a boxed version that is for PC they use. Do. You don't, I mean, it's the same physical hardware, but you're not like going to the game store to get it. Yeah, no, I have seen that, but they need to make an OEM version that you can like buy. Yeah. And unbrand, you know, unbranded. I don't know. Yeah. Seems like it needs to happen. Well, I would assume that, you know, maybe it's not going to be this year, but I would assume that now that Microsoft's proven that this level of technology sort of produces acceptable results, people will be able to iterate. And even if you sort of, you know, if you did connect style hardware with 4X the resolution, that would instantly be much more attractive to people and would not oh, yeah. drive your price out of control. Right, exactly. So, you know. But remember, the Kinect's only been out for um, not Two years? that long. Um, I guess it first shipped November 2010, so more like 18 months. Okay. Um, and, and it took a long time for the software stack to get yeah. impressive enough that people could build things off of it instead of just demoing stuff. Yeah. So remember that, yeah, it takes a while for people to spin up new hardware and everything. But uh, I would expect that we'll start to see more of that because it really does seem like a pretty transformative yeah. package. Yeah. I want something that fits in. I want Apple to get something that's in the bezel of my laptop. Yeah, it's coming. Mm, yes. So my other one, um, which you found too, um, is that a group out of MIT have uh, put up a video. So this is something that's been in development for a while, and I've seen, you know, There've been there's been talk about this for a long time about how this is possible, but this is the first time I've actually seen a video of um, scattered light uh, reconstruction. The idea being that you can shoot a laser into a room and uh, sort of watch the reflection with a very high speed camera and reconstruct the entire room in 3D, even the stuff that you can't see. Right. Uh, so essentially, it you know enough light is reflected that if you have a high accuracy camera and you can tell the, you know, and you can sample at very very high frame rates, you can basically watch the laser beam reflect around the room and almost and build like a sonar image of the inside of the room. Right, you should shoot very short pulses and then time how long it takes those photons to bounce back and you can reconstruct their path from that. Yeah, it's very crazy. Um, and we'll put up the link to the video, but it's... Um, 
It's pretty impressive. Yeah. yeah. And they were doing it on a, I mean, it's only like a six inch tall mannequin that they reconstructed, but in this type of technology, that's pretty impressive because it wasn't like a, we reconstructed this electron by, I guess that wouldn't right. work, but you know, they're, they're actually using a real object and reconstructing a, and even it's a 3d model of yeah. what it is. Yeah. It's very cool. Uh, yeah, we should get doctorates. <laughs> sure. You go first. All right, I'll see you in a few years. Okay. Um, my chatter this week is just, I wanted to shout out an article that was on Pro Video Coalition by Eric Escobar, um, reviewing the new release of Cinema 4D R13 and doing a little demo of um, a basic composite of putting a 3D object into a, um, a shot and using some of the tool set within Cinema 4D to do motion tracking and sky matching and all sorts of things like that. Um, 3D and this type of work is, I've always considered it just far too time and patience intensive for me, um, but it was really cool to see how comparatively simple he was able to get a pretty nice looking result um, using the tool set in Cinema 4D. And I know a lot of people really like Cinema 4D for doing this kind of work where maybe you're doing, you know, you want to do something sort of Hollywood-like in terms of conceptually at least, but you're on a sort of commercial or industrial budget. Um, Cinema 4D seems like it's increasingly the tool to use for that. Yeah, all the all the After Effects guys I know who do 3D go right to Cinema 4D. So take a look. He's got a you know a great walkthrough and a short video, um, and you know Cinema 4D is not uh, free, but it's inexpensive enough that people can play around with it. And if what you're, is if that? You're serious. What? Are you running a daycare out of your apartment? Uh, the next door neighbors are. Wow. They're running a daycare out of your apartment? That's a great scam. Yeah, it's weird. I had to apply for all these licenses and stuff, but they said it was just normal. I don't know. Mm, cool. Um, yeah. The children are loose next door because it's nice here in Minnesota. It's nice. It's kind of nice here. Yeah. Anyways, you should go outside and enjoy the weather. I should. We'll see you yeah, next we'll week. We'll do this yeah. again soon. Soon. We'll at least get one more in before NAB, but we'll probably be depressed and angry. Yeah, that's different. <laughs> about NAB. Oh, okay. Whatever, I'm excited about NAB. I am too, actually. I think even more so than most years. Don't be a grump. We've got new product. It's going to be a good show. Yeah. Um, Stop by the booth. Say hello. Yeah. We'll give you a water. Unofficially. We'll yeah. loan you a water. <laughs> <laughs> yep. See you next week. See ya.